We are wrapping up our series on Genesis today. If you've been following, we've been taking chunks of the book, and we're, we're covering actually the last five chapters, really about the last eight chapters today, uh, really condensing it all down to, uh, to one message. But it's been a really good walk through Genesis. It is uh, the foundational book of the Bible. It's the first book. It's part of, it lays a foundation for everything else. Everything starts in Genesis. How things went wrong with humanity. See, God placed Adam and Eve on this planet, called them to be fruitful and multiply, to to make little image bears, God, God's image uh, shown in these offspring and, and fill the earth with them. And all God in, intended for man to do was to, to listen to him, to trust him, and enjoy his provision. But over and over again, we find that man turned against God and rebelled against God. And, and God wiped the slate virtually clean and started again with another family, Noah's family, and things continued to go bad. So then he began to focus on a family, uh, the family of Abraham. And he entered a covenant, a relationship, a commitment with Abraham and his family. He said, you are going to have offspring that are going to be so numerous, numerous as stars in the sky. And I will bless you and you will be a blessing to all the nations on the earth. And that really is the driving force of all of scripture. How is God going to use people to bless the rest of the nations on this earth? And so Genesis lays the foundation for that and shows how God began that work through a group of people that became known as the Israelites. And as we've been going through this story, we've been looking at these characters and, and how they've done some good things and done some really poor things and how families are very dysfunctional and yet God, in spite of their weaknesses, in spite of their flaws, continues to move his plan forward. See, here's what you need to know is that God has a plan not only for these characters in the Bible, but for you. God has a plan for your life, and it's a good plan. It's a plan that will bless you, and it's a plan that will bless others, and it's a plan that will give God glory. And sometimes I run into people who, who fig- figured out what that plan is. They feel like, I'm walking in the place that God wants me to walk. But there are many others, and maybe you're one of them, who feels like, I don't know if God has a plan for me. I want to tell you, he does. He does have a plan for you. Or maybe you were one that at one time in the past, you did believe God had a plan for you, but maybe through some things that happened or decisions you made, you feel that somehow that opportunity closed and you missed it and you can never regain it. But I want to tell you, you can make a decision to get you right back on track with God's plan for your life. See, here's what you need to know, and this will be the the main theme of the message today, that no one can derail you from God's plan for your life but you. Only you. Nobody else can do that, but only you can. Decisions you make can prohibit you from enjoying that relationship God has. There is a a spiritual enemy called the devil. He'll try to dissuade you from that purpose. There will be things other people will do that, that can detract you from that purpose. There will be circumstances that come about in your life that, um, that arise to kind of distract you from the purpose, but God still has a purpose, and it's a good purpose. He can actually take all the different pieces of your life, the good, the bad, all those things, roll them in together, and like a mosaic, like an artist taking pieces of broken glass, put them all together and make a beautiful picture of your life. And we, when we see this, as Paul expresses in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, one of my favorite verses of Scripture, in this passage, uh, Paul says, and we, know that all, and we know that for those who love God, all things, can you say that? All things? All things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. All things, the good things, the bad things, the hurtful things, all those things can work together. And we're going to see that in the life of some characters in the story 
at the close of Genesis. Now, one-fourth of the book of Genesis focuses on just one character and his family, Joseph. Joseph has 13 chapters, more than any other character in the book of Genesis. Probably pretty significant for us to pay attention to it. And so I want to look at Joseph, and I also want to look at the other characters related to him, his brothers and his father, and how through each of their stories, we find how they refuse to let something derail them from God's plan that was being unfolded in their lives. And so we're going to start, first of all, with Joseph. Joseph. And in the life of Joseph, we, we see that there's a possibility of being derailed from what others have done to you because Joseph had been hurt by his brothers. If you remember the story, Joseph, he was a treasured son of his father, Jacob. Jacob made a coat of many colors, and, and Joseph was the privileged kid. When the other, others are out in the fields working, he's home playing video games and drinking sodas, and he just spoiled. And then, and then uh, he had these dreams, these crazy dreams of his brothers bowing down to him and so they really hated him. One day when, when Joseph was out in the field checking up on his brothers, they grabbed him, threw him into a cistern with the intent to kill him. But then, they did ha- then Judah, his brother, said, you know what? Let's not kill him. Let's sell him. We could get money for this body. And so they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. And he gets taken by these Midianite traders to Egypt where Potiphar, an official in, in uh, Pharaoh's government, um, buys him, puts him in, in his house, Gives him responsibilities, and Joseph is so good at what he does that Potiphar keeps giving him more responsibility to to the point where, over a course of time, Joseph is over everything in the house and outside the house. Joseph is is so trusted by Potiphar, and he's such a good man. The Bible says that God gave him success in everything that he did. But then Potiphar's wife keeps flirting with him, and she tells him to take her to bed, and at one point grabs him by the collar, and he just gets out of his garment and runs. And then she screams and says, this Hebrew slave attacked me. And so Joseph gets unjustly thrown into prison where he, he stays for several years. And while he's there, he, he interprets some dreams of two of Pharaoh's key leaders, a cupbearer and a baker, both of them that provided the drink and the food for the Pharaoh. They did something to offend Pharaoh, got thrown into prison. And while they're there, they have these crazy dreams and they don't know what they mean. And Joseph says, my God has given me the interpretation. And he tells the cupbearer that in three days, you are going to be released from prison and restored to your position of authority. But for the, for the baker, you'll be released in three days to be executed. And, and Joseph says to the cupbearer, when you go back to your old job, would you remember me? And both of those things happened. Uh, the the cupbearer is restored to his position. The baker is executed. But the cupbearer forgets Joseph. So he stays in prison for two more years until the Pharaoh has some dreams. And he can't interpret them, nor can his magicians interpret them. So the cupbearer says, hey, I remember a guy, this Hebrew guy that was back in the prison, and, and he was able to interpret my dream. Maybe he could interpret yours. So they bring Joseph out of the prison clean him up, present him to Pharaoh. He listens to the dreams, and God gives him the interpretation. The interpretation was that they would experience seven years of great prosperity. They would have bumper crops for seven years, unbelievable crops. But then it would be followed by seven years of extreme famine. And so uh, Joseph says, Pharaoh, you'd be wise to hire someone to administrate the grain during this time. And Pharaoh says, I can think of no one better than you. And so Joseph goes from the pit of the prison to the second highest position in the land. I mean, this is immediately, boom, 
He's right out there. He didn't go through school. He didn't get elected. He didn't do any of that stuff. He's right there. And he's given all these garments to wear. He's given a place to live. He's a wealthy man. He's, he's paraded through the city and people bow before him. Joseph now is revered. And then he's given an Egyptian woman to marry, a daughter of a, priest, of a priestess, and they have children. And so I want to pick up the story with Joseph and see how he deals with his past through the birth of his children. It says, Joseph called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for he said, God has made me forget all my hardship and all my father's house. And the name of the second he called Ephraim, for God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. His two kids. And the first one, he has them both Hebrew names, not Egyptian names, Hebrew. And the first one means to forget. It was as if when he had this child, he said, okay, it's time to forget. Time to put a close on the past. He's been carrying along his life the last 13 years a lot of heartache and pain. I mean, think about that. He gets thrown in the pit by his brothers. He remembers the anger on their faces. When he's getting um, drug off in a caravan to who knows where, I mean, he's, he's been sold as a slave, the fear in him. He ends up in Egypt, a strange place, doesn't know the language, has, has no friends, doesn't, uh, he, he just, he doesn't know the religious culture. He doesn't know anything. He's trying to adapt to it. He's, he's feeling lonely. And then he's, then he's battling every day this, uh, the, the temptations of Potiphar's wife. He's having to fight that off every day. You know, I want to be a man of integrity, but golly, leave me alone. And then she charges him with something he never did. So he's, he's dealing with this, this injustice. And he's thrown into prison. And while he's there, he, um, he, he interprets the dream of the cupbearer, but the cupbearer forgets him. So you think of all these things that have happened over Joseph's life that he's carrying, uh, you know, in his mind, like a lot of hurt. A lot of hurt over these 13 years. He says, you know what? I'm not going to hurt anymore. I'm not going to dwell on that stuff anymore. It's not that he is going to forget like I'll never think of him. It's like I'm not going to let them have any bearing on my present ever again. God has helped me forget. That's a beautiful thing when you let God heal the past. He's, he's, he's not going to play the victim anymore. That's not going to be who I am. What people have done to me is not going to shape who I am now. That's over. It's past. It's forgotten. But then he has a second child, Ephraim. And he says, uh, this means twice blessed or twice fruitful. And I don't know if it means because I have two kids, I'm twice fruitful, or just his life is doubly blessed. But definitely he recognized the fact that God has blessed him where he is. God has enabled me to forget the past. God has... God has blessed me right where I am. My life hasn't gone the path that I thought it would. It's been a very painful path, but where it's landed right now is in a good place. And I thank God for that. And you know what? I find sometimes people are so, are so caught in the past that they wallow in the past and waste the blessings of the present. They're so focused looking backwards that they can't even see what God's doing right around them. Stop. Look where you are. Look what God has done. Quit looking backwards. You can't do anything about that. Look at what God is doing right now. And that's what Joseph is doing. Forgetting the past and embracing the blessings of the present. And God is using him in a very beautiful and significant way. He's a leader in the land. And God has elevated him to a place of significance. Uh, He's not going to let what his brothers did keep him from being responsible to what God has now presented. You know, sometimes in our lives, we can look back and start to blame different people. You know, if my husband wouldn't have divorced me, 
If my dad would have just loved me, if that teacher would have been fair with my grades, if that boss wouldn't have fired me, if that college would have accepted me, if that coach would have put me on the team. I mean, on and on we go about people who, who have done stuff to us. Got to let it go. Embrace where you are and be responsible to where God has put you. And so Joseph, Joseph's got wealth, he's got fame, he's got power. And very quickly, very quickly, he's ascended to those places. And I watch athletes and politicians and people who arise to that level quickly, and it leads to a lot of corruption, a lot of greed, pride, selfishness. But Joseph has, has proven himself over and over again. He can handle it. He's a responsible man. J. Oswald Sanders says, not many men can carry a full cup. Yet Joseph's steady hand could do that. And God uses him. Now think about this. The land goes through these seven years, and he, he raises taxes. It's double tax. And uh, he says, we're, we're going to double tax you this time. And so all this grain is brought in. That's how they pay taxes, at grain. And so they have these storehouses set up. They have accumulated so much grain that he, he loses count of it. It's like, I can't even keep track of it anymore. There's so much of it. But they do that for seven years, and then the famine hits. And his, history tells us that this famine was so severe that in Egypt, cannibalism started to arise. I mean, it is very bad, even in Egypt. And it says there at the end of uh, the chapter, verse 57, all the earth came to Egypt to Joseph to buy grain because the famine was severe in all the earth. You know, God, God had a plan for Joseph's life, and his plan was to use Joseph to save the nations. Not just, not just Egypt, but maybe in more particular, Israel, the nation of Israel. God is going to use Joseph. Now think about this. Joseph is being used by God, and maybe out of the book of Genesis, in the most significant way of any character, to bless so many people. And yet he's not a priest, he's not a missionary, he's not a pastor, he's not a parachurch worker. He's a public servant. Do you know that God may very well, in his plan for you, position you in a place, not in a church, not on the mission field, not in a a parachurch organization, but it could be in a school, could be in a business, could be in the military, and says, that's where I want you because that's where I can bless the people around you. Embrace where God has you. God has you there for a purpose if you're surrendered to him. And that's what Joseph discovered. God has a plan. He's unfolding it in my life. So he didn't let the people, from his, that the people and what they'd done to him keep him from discovering that. But then we'll look at his brothers and what God had done in their life. And we'll find out in their lives that you don't have to be derailed from God's plan by what you've done in the past. They are back in Canaan. And they are, they are suffering from the famine. And so Joseph tells the brothers, you need to go to Egypt because that's where the grain is. Now they realize it's a, it's a several days journey. It's like a three-week journey to get to Egypt. And Egyptians aren't fond of the Hebrews. So it's risky. In fact, Jacob knows this. And so he keeps his youngest son, Benjamin, his other child through Rachel. Joseph was the, was the first Benjamin was the second. Benjamin now becomes the favored child. He says, you guys all go. I'm holding on to Benjamin in case you guys don't come back. At least I got the one that I want. So that kind of had to hurt a little bit. But they go, not knowing what they're going to encounter when they get to Egypt. But when they get there and they go to approach the leadership for grain, they come before Joseph. (laughs) The odds of that, 
Of all the people in Egypt they could come before, it's Joseph. And Joseph recognizes them. See, they looked pretty similar to what, how they looked 20 years before. Maybe a little grayer, maybe a little more wrinkles. But Joseph doesn't look anything like he did because he's clean-shaven. He's bald. He's got the headdress on. He's got nice clothes on. And Joseph uh, is speaking Egyptian to them. He's got an interpreter who's translating for him. And they come before him, and in verse 13 of chapter 42, it says, We, your servants, are 12 brothers, the sons of one man in the land of Canaan. And behold, the youngest is this day with our father, and one is no more. Who's the one is no more? Joseph. So we've got one brother back with the dad, and we've got a brother who's, who's dead. And Joseph goes, dead? Why do you think he's dead? You know, probably in his mind thinking, I'm Joseph. But they think he's dead. They think when he went to Egypt, the things turned really bad, and he's probably dead by now. But here's what you need to know. They are starting to deal with this guilt that's been nagging them for 20 years. It's, it's never left them. It's starting to resurface again. And so uh, in verse 21, it says, They said to one another, In truth, we are guilty concerning our brother in that we saw the distress of his soul when he begged us and we did not listen. That is why this distress has come upon us. They're thinking that the famine has come because of what they did to Joseph 20 years prior, that now they're paying a price for this. And they get a little more specific They actually remember the cries they heard from the pit when Joseph got thrown down there. Or maybe the cries when he was being um, pulled away in the caravan. Joseph screaming to them, brothers, what are you doing? And, And they're counting their money, waving to him as he goes. And now they're feeling, that wasn't a good thing. And now... Now God's getting us for it. See, remember the verse I shared with you a couple weeks ago from Numbers? It says, be sure of this, your sin will find you out. They know that. God, God, God knew what had happened, and they know that God knows. And see, here's something you need to know. Time does not relieve us of guilt. Only God does. Only God's grace relieves us of guilt, but time doesn't. You, there may be something that'll trigger that event from years ago. Just because you pushed it in your memory doesn't mean it's gone away. It's not been dealt with. And the, the, the sin of these men has not been dealt with. And so they're struggling with it. Joseph, though, is, is not bitter toward them. He's actually stirred by affection. He, he weeps, wipes away his tears. And he says, okay, here's what I want you to do. I'll give you your grain, but I'm going to hold a brother back. And, and you go back and bring your other brother to see me and I'll release the one I'm holding. So he, he takes Simeon, puts him in prison. He sends the rest of them on their way. Now they've got their sacks of grain. Everyone has their own sack. But when they open up the sacks, they find that there's money at the top of it. The money they, they brought and paid for, the grain, is now back in their sacks and they're scared. Like, oh my goodness, what's going on here? That's the money that we should have paid him. What happened? How did it get here? We're in trouble. And see, Joseph is actually being gracious to them. Joseph is saying, hey guys, I'm taking care of you. It was in my heart to do this. They don't read it that way. They think God is setting them up to get them. You know, I find that when you are guilty, you twist every act of grace into something that has another agenda. And that's the way they're feeling, that like God is trying to expose them and punish them for what they had done to their brother Joseph and punish them for what they had done 
to their brother Joseph. So when they get back home, they tell Jacob, hey, you got the grain? Where's Simeon? Um, We're going to explain that. Simeon's back there in Egypt because um, we've got to go back now, Dad, and we've got to take Benjamin with us. He says, no way. You are not taking Benjamin. You have, you've already told me about one son that's gone. Now you've got another, another son of mine that's in prison in Egypt, and now you want to take the only beloved son I have left? And Reuben says, well, tell you what, uh, if I don't bring him back, then, then you can take the life of both of my kids. <laughs> you know, think of, I was thinking about that. If my son came to me and says, hey, Dad, if I screw up, take it out on, my, on your grandkids. Really? That's going to make me feel better? So Jacob says, no, we're not doing that. So they do nothing. They just, they, they go back to their jobs. They eat the grain. Weeks pass by, maybe months, until the grain's almost gone. And then Jacob says, hey, guys, you need to make another trip back to Egypt. We need more grain. And then Judah, and this is where Judah steps in. Judah says, dad, we can't go back unless we take Benjamin with us. And I know you don't want him to go, but trust me, if we don't go, we don't get grain. So we have to do this. And he says, if, if, if I don't come back with him, I will bear the guilt over that, not you. So Jacob finally says, okay, okay, take him back. But take with you all these extra gifts. So nuts and honey and, and spices, take all these things. Let's, let's load up your, your, your stuff with gifts to give to that man so he'll be very gracious to you. Let's... let's Let's do everything we can. In fact, take twice the money. So if he asked you where the money was from the first delivery, you've got that and the money for the next. And so they go back to Egypt, and they once again go to Joseph. But this time, they're invited to Joseph's house. And when they get to Joseph's house, um, they find that there's a feast spread out for them. And once again, they go, what's going on here? Something's up. And he's going to try to take us as his servants. That's what they're going to do. He's, they're going to take us as his servants. And um, Joseph looks them over and says, is that your youngest brother there? They go, oh, yeah, that's, that's Benjamin. Joseph hadn't seen him since he was his little brother, since he was little. Joseph looks at him, and he's overcome with such emotion that he has to leave the room. And he just starts weeping. He's crying. And there's, there's healing taking place. It's not bitterness. It's like, have you ever had that feeling like, this is something that's really beautiful, but it's so, something I never thought would happen. And so he's back there, he's crying, and then he, he washes his face and goes, <gasps> let's eat! <laughs> so they, 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 they spread out of the table, and he eats over there, because he doesn't, because the tradition is Egyptians don't eat with Hebrews, and they're eating, and the brothers are looking at each other going, what's going on here? Why, why, are you, why is he treating us like this? This is, this is, this is incredible. Here, more steak, you know, they're, they're, you know they're, they just, there's laughter, and they just don't quite understand what's happening. Again, guilt always makes us feel unworthy of the grace. And then when they get ready to leave, um, Joseph has their, their sacks filled with grain, puts all their money back in the sacks, but this time plays a little trick on them. He takes a silver cup, puts it in Benjamin's sack, and then, then when they leave town, he tells one of his servants, Go check on those men because someone has stolen my silver cup. So as soon as they get out of town, you know, a horse rides up or a chariot and says, stop, stop. There's been, a, there's, there's been a crime. Someone here has stolen the silver cup of the governor 
and it's the cup he uses for talking to the gods. So they, they felt confident, well, none of us would do something like that, so check the bags. In fact, if you find that any of us have taken it, then, then he should be executed. So they start going through the bags from Reuben, the oldest, all the way down. They don't find it, don't find it, don't find it. Get down to Benjamin, open up his sack, and the guy says, look what I found here. And Benjamin's probably horrified. And the brothers are horrified because they're thinking of anybody to have the cup, not Benjamin. Our dad will kill us. He'll die from a stroke just when he hears the news that, that Benjamin didn't come back. And so they all get taken back to Joseph's house. And these guys are just, they are just so afraid. They're, they're so terrified of what can happen. And so in um, chapter 44, starting at verse 15, it says, Joseph said to them, what deed is this that you've done? Do you not know that a man like me can indeed practice divination? Meaning you, don't, you can't keep secrets from me. And Judah said, what shall we say to my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how can we clear ourselves? God has found out the guilt of your servants. He's not talking about the guilt of Benjamin with the cup. He says, God, God's exposing us for our sin. You know, I'm thinking of all the people to say that, it's Judah who's the one who said, hey, let's sell him for money. Judah now is broken before Joseph. Joseph's in a position where Judah's trembling before him and saying, all this is happening because of us and the, and the incredibly bad choice that we made. It's not because of Benjamin, it's us. And so Joseph now can't, can't handle it anymore. So he tells all of his Egyptian cohorts to leave the room and it's just him and the brothers. And, uh, and he's just overcome with emotion. He just, he just wants to, to get it out in the open now. So this is one of the most beautiful pictures, I think, of scripture, of a family relationship in chapter 45, Joseph says this. He says this to his brothers, verse 3. I, I'm Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him, for they were dismayed at his presence. Can you imagine? The brothers are going, you're Joseph? Oh, snap. Oh, it's gonna, oh man, what's, we're in trouble now. He's in a position, he can get revenge on all of us Right now. And so they're not like, like hugging and excited. They're scared stiff. They're just, what are we going to do? This, this really is Joseph. But then jo- quickly, before they get wrapped up in all this fear, Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me, please. And they came near. He starts walking among them. I am Joseph. And yes, you sold me into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life, to preserve you for a remnant on earth and to keep you alive, uh, keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the Lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And so there's this great reunion. And they're so hooked on the past and what they've done. And, and Joseph says, you know, you can't change the past, but look what God has done with it. God brought good out of it. Let's, let's let it go. Let's move on. Don't, don't let the past hinder you from what God wants to do now. So Pharaoh hears about this great reunion, and he says, hey, Joseph, why don't you go back and bring your family to Egypt, and we will give them the best fertile land where they can raise their crops and their animals and have their families. And so they get loaded up with all their grain 
again, and he sends wagons to load up the stuff, and they all head back to Canaan. And when they get there, they, uh, they arrive, and they're getting prepared to talk to their dad. Now, here's where we see the third part of this story and how, how Jacob deals with his doubts, because sometimes doubts can keep us from enjoying what God is doing in our lives, the doubts that you wrestle with. And so they uh, arrive back there, back in... Um, Back in Canaan. So, so they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan to their father Jacob. And when they told him, Joseph is still alive and he's ruler over the land of Egypt. And his heart became numb for he did not believe them. Jacob's saying, come on guys, don't play with my heart like that. What do you mean Joseph is alive? And so they start to tell all the stories like, well, we went to Egypt and, and he had this feast for us. And then he did this and then he, he revealed who he was and we hugged and cried and we did all this. And then and he said, hey, move the family back here. And he gave us these wagons to load everything up. And they, they pull back the curtain of the tent. Joseph, or Jacob looks out, and there are these huge wagons. He says, you're right. This, this really must be true. I must go to Egypt to see my son. And so, like the Beverly Hillbillies, they load everything up on these wagons, and they start to leave town. But, but here's Joseph's struggle, or Jacob's struggle. There are a lot of J names in the Bible. Jacob has a struggle he remembers years ago when God told him to leave Laban, his uncle Laban, up in Mesopotamia, leave there and go back to the land I gave to your father Isaac and your grandfather Abraham. Go back to that land. So why, why now is he being called to go to Egypt? Is that just a, a nice promise from Pharaoh or is this God's will? So on the way out of town, they stop and they, and they pray. It says, Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba, and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, here I am. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will bring you, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. And Jacob knew, okay, God's in it. God's in it. See, sometimes when you're wrestling with decisions of, is this from God? You know, just, just because it sounds good, you know, I got a job offer in another city, is that from God? You know, just because this guy proposes to me, is, that, is, is, that, is God in it? And so maybe like Jacob, what we should do is just stop and pray. Go to our place of worship and get before the Lord. Say, God, give me clarity in this. Help me to know if this is you or not. And, and don't move forward until you have that confirmation from God. Like I, if you don't believe it's from God, if you're still wrestling with doubts, then don't move. But, but if you get that peace, okay, God, I'm going forward because I'm pretty confident. I'm sensing you are in this and you are with me. And so the family all moves there. They move to Egypt. And they end up liking where they are. The family grows. They actually stay there for 400 years. It says in chapter 47, verse 27, Thus Israel settled in the land of Egypt and the land of Goshen, and they gained possession in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. That, those phrases, be fruitful and multiply, started in the Garden of Eden, and then it moved to Abraham and his family, and now it's once again to Jacob. That's what God wants. He wants, he wants to fill the earth with people who love him and trust him, follow him. You know, these are stories from the Bible, but I want to give you a little more modern-day story and invite um, a new staff member, Bonnie Moe, up here to to um, share a little bit with me. Uh, God has done some incredible things in her life and guiding her and her path and where she has been and where she is today. 
So uh, I've got a few questions I want to ask her, and would you welcome her as she runs up here on stage? (laughs) Well, Bonnie, why don't you tell everybody just a little bit about yourself? I know some have seen your cheery face at the connection counter, but they really don't know much about you. Hi, I'm Bonnie. Bonnie Moo, and I'm married to Danny. He's over there. We have six kids together. Uh, I started volunteering here um, a little over a year ago, maybe it was two, and I did a lot of the graphic design and marketing. I helped out with this immeasurable impact campaign that you've seen, and uh, January 1st of this year, I was hired full-time to manage media and marketing. That's awesome. Now, you and I share something in common. We both grew up in the Methodist church and uh, learn about God, God's wonderful plan for your life. But some things happen to kind of mess up that plan. Tell us about that. Yes, I grew up in a great Methodist church, and I had 18 years of church under my belt and moved away to college and knew nothing. (laughs) I didn't have a relationship with God. Um, I didn't know how to use the Bible when I needed it. I didn't have any connections. I went to a private art college. We didn't have a a Christian youth group there or anything, and I was struggling. So I ended up making a lot of bad decisions. I, I did get engaged. It didn't work out. I was devastated. I was left for somebody else, and it took a toll on my self-esteem. So I rebounded, and I was blinded by love, and I didn't realize the drinking issue that was in my in that marriage uh, with my ex-husband, and we did attend here, um, and I started to hear about drugs and alcohol from the, from the stage, and it was really resonating, resonating with me, and I knew that we needed something. Um, I came up for prayer a lot during that time. I think I prayed with all of the different pastors here, just trying to figure out how to get God back into our lives and our marriage, and we were one of the first families in the care center to receive counseling, every single member of the family, so my, my young daughter, my teenage son, and my ex-husband and I each had a counselor, and um, that's when drugs were revealed in our marriage, and um, it just, it was clear that it wasn't a safe, a safe marriage to be in anymore, and the safe option was divorce, so I knew I wanted God back into my life, but I needed to heal before I could actually hear um, what, God had, what God wanted me to do and, and how to say yes to him. I didn't know what that looked like. I went through a lot of the programs here, Healing Journey, No Boundaries, um, Christian Counseling, even continued that outside of the church. And So I started to hear from God, and he really was working within me. Um, I didn't feel like I was wrestling with him anymore. That's when Danny came along, and uh, when we were dating... Um, He attended here as well, and we both realized that we really wanted to do it right. So we started meeting with Pastor Sam on a weekly basis, and and we ended up uh, learning some things to build a strong foundation for our marriage and for our blended family. Uh, One of those, um, my messy divorce actually caused me to lose my job, and then I got another job, and I got laid off, and we were just upside down, and we were trying to figure out how to put food on the table and tithe, and Pastor Sam really helped break it down to, you know, the the two pennies from the woman at the well were way more than, you know, the people giving all this money. So we just had to start small. So we started small to where we could feel it, and then when we couldn't feel it anymore, we increased. And once, once we really said yes to God and we started to feel the blessings, it just started to multiply. And I got my confidence back, and I wrestled a while with um, had 
losing the jobs um, in my marketing and design field and really felt the enemy working at me of, you know, I was rusty, I was worthless, I wasn't any good at design, and all that went away. And it really, I had the confidence to, to take a parenting class with Danny and that built our confidence. We kind of knew some people to get even more involved in God's kingdom here um, and serve. I really started to heal when I served. And then you started to serve in, in the area, really, of your giftedness. Yes. So um, Danny and I, um, well, now we're doing Celebrate Recovery. The, the team part is called the landing. Um, and so we, we meet with teens, and we help, them, um, we help them cope with what's going on at home. Um, I realized that I didn't have that relationship with God, and I didn't know how to lean into him during the hard times when I was in that um, kind of high school, college age. So Danny and I are really working with the teens to um, hear God's voice and to lean into him and use him, use that relationship with him, just like he's a person, just so they don't walk away like I did. I think just Celebrate Recovery is really, really kind of cool because it, it's reminiscent of Bonnie's life, how God can take all these hurts and bad decisions and all these things of the past and then put them together like a mosaic and say, look, look, I'm going to bring something beautiful out of it. And that's what he's done in your life. And that's what you're helping happen in the lives of our teenagers. So yeah, they just oh. celebrate recovery. Sorry. It's every Friday night. It's for the whole family. I forgot to mention that part. So it's, it's actually for, we have, we have child care to love on the little ones. We have, we have um, student age stuff, 7 to 12. It's all age appropriate. They, they work on feelings work and all sorts of how to deal with your emotions, and then Danny and I help them in the, in the teenage years, and, and there's stuff for men and women, and it's for the whole family. Cool. Yeah. Very good. So check that out. Thank you so much, Bonnie, for letting God work in your life. Well, the last part of the story, just to put a cap on it, happens in chapter 50. Jacob dies, and the brothers start to be afraid, uh, or start to become afraid, because they have thought... Joseph held it together for the sake of dad, but now that he's gone, he's going to come down hard on us. That's not what happens. Uh, listen to this. It's a beautiful picture here. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil we did to him. So they sent a message to Joseph saying, your father gave us this command before he died. Say to Joseph, please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin because they did evil to you. And now please forgive the transgressions of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. It's like he can't believe that they're still carrying this all these years. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. All things work together for good. For those who love God and are called according to his good purpose, God is working good in your life. And see, sometimes we don't see that, and we get sidetracked by these other things and, and get off the path. But you know how you get back on the track with God? Simply to do what each of them did, what, what Joseph did, what his brothers did, what his dad did, is to once again surrender to God and then be obedient to what he's asking you to do. To say yes to God right where you are right now. To not keep your focus backwards, but to look upward to him right where you are. And some of you are in that place. All it would take for you to get back on track with God and his good purpose for your life is for you to surrender and be obedient to him. 
It's that simple, that simple. And you can start today. So we're going to stand and sing this great song about who God is, how good he is to us. And I'm going to ask our prayer partners to be just available up in front here. If today you just need to surrender once again to him, and maybe it's something you've done in the past, but today you need a fresh surrender, then come forward and do that today. Or maybe God is telling you to say yes in some area of obedience. And today say, yes, God, I'm going to quit fighting against it. I'm going to do the thing. Maybe I need to apologize for a sin in my life. Maybe I need to go reconcile with someone. Maybe I need to, to make a move somewhere or take a job somewhere, or do something that you're calling me to do. Maybe I need to be responsible right where I am and, and be happy about it. What is it that God's telling you to say yes to him about today? Let's sing and worship and surrender once again.